Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Good evening, everybody. My name is Russell Spatz. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a member of the South Tixie Group from Miami, Florida, and it's good to be here. I haven't found it necessary to have a drink, nor have I had a drink since January 25th, 1981. So I'm in my 43rd year of sobriety, and uh, I just want to share a little bit about my uh, journey. It's going to have to be a little bit. I'm, I'm 73 years old and uh, been doing this deal for about 42 years, and uh, so it's kind of hard to compact that in the space of 30 minutes or so, 45 minutes, whatever we have here. But I, I have a story for you. I have a testimony. I never had a story before. I never had a testimony before. And every year my testimony, my story gets clearer and clearer and clearer. Although I think I'm, uh, I've got a little bit of senility now because uh, I find it hard to remember a lot of things. But I remember certain things. There, I, I remember the, the important things that God, the Lord, wants me to remember. So I got a story. I'm going to try something a little bit different tonight. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes, just for the heck of it. I've been doing step series since I was like five years sober. And, you know, speaking around, doing step series and different things since I was five years sober. So I, don't even, I can't even do the math on that. 30, 35 years, something like that. And there was a time... And I know a lot of you guys have sat through my series up till now, and uh, you know I like to focus on God and faith and things like that, and uh, which I think is extremely important. You know, it's not a big deal. It's not a bad. It's not a. Nobody's getting gypped here. I mean, we got enough people doing steps and doing stuff like that. At least one guy ought to talk about you know God and and uh, ain't gonna kill you. Uh, but uh, the bottom line is, I I, I just sort of. Um, I was at a meeting. What, uh, what, what happened is when I, my, my story has changed. I've changed. I came in when I was 31 years old. You know, I mean, 31. And, uh, which is, I don't even know what that is. That's like an age, I guess. I came in when I was 31 years old. I had two neurons working. They were waving goodbye to each other. And, uh, and, and, I've been, I've been 30, I came in at 31, and then there's 41, there's 51, and 61, and now 73, and been married for 40 something years, and four kids, raised four kids, and eight grandkids, and so I've changed, and the way I look at the world has changed, you know, it says we, we, the way we get a new perspective in AA, I'm not sure we have any perspective before we come to AA, you know, we probably have some perspective, like it's not my fault, I'm not to blame, I'm always getting screwed, you, know, you don't know who I am, you know, why is this always happening to me, you know, I, I had some perspective, but it, a perspective that never actually changed. I was the victim, 
and you were an asshole. That was pretty much my perspective on things. And, uh, and if I could only get laid every time I wanted to and make a lot of money, and if I could only get my way, if only everybody would elect me as king and do what I want them to do, then life would be great. But, but because of bad breaks and misunderstandings, that didn't go off too well. And because apparently everybody else is trying to look for the same deal. And uh, so my perspective was sort of either warped or at least that's where it was and never changed. When you come into AA and you stop drinking, your perspective starts changing on some things. And, and I think what they say in the book, I believe the big book is true. I think they have a lot of truths in the big book. Uh, and I, I don't think these are truths that Bill Wilson thought up. I think the truths came from the Bible where they were studied beforehand and a lot of other books. Uh, these are truths that from truths throughout the ages. And, uh, and one of the truths in the Bible and in Psalms and in the, whatever you want to, and in the big book is this truth. It says the way you'll get a new perspective, perspective is by repeated humiliations and the final crushing of your self-sufficiency. In, in the book of James, which was one of the primary books they, they used before they wrote the big book, the three books they found absolutely essential were 1 Corinthians 13, Sermon on the Mount, and the book of James. The way, the way James put it, he says, rejoice and be excited uh, when you have trials of many problems. Of many. Anybody ever been, after they got sober, anybody ever suffer like from problems, difficulties? You ever been worried? You ever woke up at three o'clock in the morning with all this shit going through your mind, you know, and like, and you, you say, I gotta stop thinking about this stuff. Stuff you've been thinking about for two weeks and it never went away and you never had the answer. The same thing, the same problem, the same people. You wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you say, I gotta stop thinking about this. And now you're panicking because you can't get to sleep and you gotta go to work and you gotta stop thinking about this. And then for two seconds you stop thinking about it and then it comes back again and it's like, it's like a horror, it's like a horror story in your mind and, and whatever, it does anything. It's, it, it, you, you just have a mind that's grand. It's just, it's, it's, it's like bad thoughts about myself and other people all the time. Sober. Bad thoughts about myself and other people all the time. I turn on the TV. I get involved in a movie or something. I stop the bad thoughts. That's like a cure. I talk to my sponsor. I go to a meeting. I listen to a speaker, you know, a good speaker. It stops the thoughts for a while. You understand what I'm saying? I do, I, I, I get involved in helping another person. I, it stops the thoughts for a while, for, for a nanosecond, for five minutes, for an hour. I feel like a human being. And then I get in my car and I drive home and they all come rushing back again. Bad thoughts about myself and other people. It's not the, it's not the drinking. The drinking's but a symptom of disease. It's some sort of disease that centers in my mind, not my body. And now I'm three years sober and I'm four years sober and I'm 10 years sober and I'm sponsoring everything in sight and I'm doing everything you're supposed to do in AA and I've got bad thoughts about myself and other people. Now I'm 15 years sober and I got bad thoughts about myself and other people. And I don't know, and what do you do? What do you do when AA is not working? And they tell me in the big book, it says, I can be rocketed in the fourth dimension of existence, experience much of heaven and no peace. And I've got this AA thing down pat, but I don't have that part. That part. It says you'll lose fear of people and of economic insecurity. And I've got to say, I can teach, I'm doing steps, I'm teaching AA. 
but I haven't, but I still, I haven't gotten that promise where you'll lose fear of people in economic insecurity. That hasn't happened. And I got now 15 years. What do you tell yourself when you got 15 years or 20 years and you're still worried and you're still anxious and you haven't had a drink and you know it's not alcohol because you haven't had a drink in 20 years. What do you do then, big shot? Bill Wilson wrote the big book when he was five years old. Now we know it's divinely inspired because if you ever hung around with somebody who's five years sober, you know they ain't writing the big book, you know what I mean? They're, they're like thumb-sucking crybabies and they're crazy, you know what I mean? But in a sort of good way, they're getting a little bit better maybe. So you know there was something going on with Bill besides him. And then, and, and then, 15 years later, when he was 20 years sober, he wrote the 12 and 12, which we worship those books. We worship the big book and the 12 and 12, and he wrote all those things and other stuff as Bill sees it. But Bill was an alcoholic. Did you know that? There's one who has all power. That one is God. Bill Wilson's not God. Dr. Bob is not God. You know, the conference, it's conference approval. Conference ain't God. You know what I mean? AA is not God. And then, and then at 23 years sober, get this, at 23 years sober, the longest person sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, with the benefit of Sam Shoemaker and Ed Dowling and all the steps and done everything and speaking all over, the founder, co-founder of AA, 23 years sober, Bill Wilson has a nervous breakdown and is going nuts. You know? The co-founder of AA is going whack job. Almost drank. I'm not, listen, I'm not putting Bill Wilson down. I think, God bless him, he's an alcoholic for everything he did. I, but the bottom line is, I'm just telling you the truth. I mean, you're entitled to your opinion, you're just not entitled to your own facts. And he writes at 23 years sober and he gets through it. And he gets to another end because he gets crushed. And he realizes something and he wrote uh, an essay called The Next Frontier. And he talks about how his eyes have opened up. At 23 years sober, his eyes have opened up and he realizes something for the first time. That he's been totally <laughs> off base. Can you imagine that? You're reading the big book. Don't, nothing wrong with the big book. It's God inspired. You're reading the 12 and 12. Nothing's God inspired. Now, the guy who wrote all that, who almost drank, who's 23 years sober, is now realizing he screwed up the whole thing. Dr. Bob knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. Because Dr. Bob was solid. He was solid. If you know anything about Dr. Bob, read Dr. Bob in the good old times. Guy was totally God committed. Totally God committed, Dr. Bob. I'm not saying he's perfect, nobody's perfect, but totally into the God thing. Bill Wilson, not so much. Bill Wilson, you know, if you read Dr. Bob in the good old timers, he's the one who goes up to Henry and he says, I don't think, he's doing, uh, you know how in AA they say to you, uh, don't, do, don't talk too much about the God thing? Don't talk too much about the God thing? Are you talking too much about God? Bill Wilson was that guy. It's amazing we have as much, he's the one who went up to Henry and he says, I don't think we should talk too much about the God thing. He was, he was hair trigger ready to say, to compromise on the God thing because he had been hurt by people who turned away because of the God thing. You guys know anything about alcoholics? You ever hang around alcoholics? Very few of them like the God thing. Have you recognized, you know, now let me explain something to you. This is not Well People's Anonymous. 
People, the way if you're here and you're an alcoholic, you're here because you're insane. You understand? So there's a real good chance that if you feel strongly about something, you're wrong. I mean, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. Consider the possibility that the stronger you hate something, the more that it disturbs you, the more you're turning away from the truth. Because an alcoholic life seems the only normal one for us. We can't separate the truth from the false. And if you guys knew what the truth was, guess what? You wouldn't be here in the first place. You wouldn't be have the broken marriages. You wouldn't have the jail time. You wouldn't have all the bullshit. The unmanageability of your life, you wouldn't have to be here. You know? And so chances are the crap you hear up, the, he the stuff you hear from people that make you uncomfortable may be the most important stuff you need to hear and listen to. To almost force yourself to try to understand. It's a possibility. So Bill Wilson, the last, I mean, Dr. Bob, the, the last thing he said, so Bill Wilson says to Henry this side, I think we're talking too much about the God thing. She says to him, he says, listen, Bill, the only reason you're sober, the only reason you're sober is because of God. So if you throw out the God thing, you might as well be the Kiwanis Club or something like that because God's your only hope. And she says, finally, Bill agreed. But then Bill went back to Manhattan. You guys know anything about New Yorkers? I'm a former New Yorker, okay? New Yorkers are like, you know, you know, you know, you know, New Yorkers, you tap somebody on the street in New York and say, do you know how to get to Carnegie Hall or should I just go fuck myself? You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, you know, I know, use the F word. So you can forget everything I said. You can lodge on that. You know, yeah, yeah. In other words, New York is a, just, don't, I want the bottom line. Don't give me the bullshit. I want the bottom line. Don't talk about the God stuff. I want to know what's, the, what's in it for me. And, you know, we're fast thinkers, you know what I mean? And we're irreverent and we're in your face and nobody's going to tell me nothing. You know, you mind your own business. You know, I'm a New Yorker. Now, I'm not saying that the New York kind of, you know, in your face attitude isn't prevalent in like Milwaukee. Okay. Uh, I think it's probably prevalent in most alcoholics. You know, it says we're selfish, self-centered. It says our chief characteristic is defiant. So maybe all alcoholics are like New Yorkers. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know what the story is. But the bottom line is that's my personality. My sponsor used to say when he said, why do you do the things you do? I said, that's my personality. He says, well, your personality is killing you. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm that way. So that's why Dr. Bob, who was from you know, Akron around that area and everything like that, said to Bill Wilson when they left, the last words he said to Bill Wilson, because he knew, he knew Bill was going back to Manhattan. He was going back with all the dreams and getting as many people, because the whole thing was, I'm not saying this is a bad thing and this is what probably God wanted. That what, what he, his idea was the original AA, the original AA for the first four years is you couldn't go to a meeting unless you got down on your knees and gave your life to God. In other words, they had, you, you didn't get into AA unless you had already done the third step. There was nobody in AA back then saying, well, if they had said something to me about God, I wouldn't have been here because they wouldn't have been there because they had to get down on their knees in front of everybody. So the meetings were, what, what would you call it? Small, but they were different. They were different than the meetings you're going to now, right? Because the people were, I'll put it this way, pre-qualified. They had already announced their willingness to turn their life over to God. Whether it was bullshit or not, they were willing enough 
because they're at death's door to get down on their knees in front of people and say the prayer. The prayer that they, we, they say we should say, you know, maybe, you know, on, in the third step. They were willing, which some people do and some people don't. We got a lot of, even though the book says this sort of thinking, atheism has to be abandoned, the book says that. By the way, that's our program. It says it has to be abandoned. By the way, Dr. Bob said, if you're an atheist, agnostic, have some sort of intellectual pride which keeps you from this, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you. You're pathetic. Your heavenly father will never let you down. I mean, it is clear what the big book's all about, and you still got people standing up in AA and saying, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. And which you're allowed to do, we're open, you know what I'm talking about? But nobody stands up and says, listen, why don't you keep that to yourself because that's not our program. And there are new people here. Nobody does that, but if you stand up and you say, you talk about God, five people will descend on you and say, you know, you're killing newcomers. Now, if you're alcoholics, you know what hypocrisy is, don't you? If you're an alcoholic, you know what hypocrite, hypocrisy is because you are a hypocrite. You say one thing, you do another. So if any, you can recognize anything, that's hypocrisy, okay? But the reason why you don't hear much about it in AA is because alcoholics, one of the consequences of being an alcoholic is you want people to like you. And you will whore yourself out to this world and whore yourself out to anybody and compromise any, anything you have just so people won't dislike you. So you live your entire life knowing you're unworthy and worried about what people think about you, you know, how you're dressing, what your car looks like and all that stuff, because you worry about that. And since AA is not Well People's Anonymous, and we dropped that whole thing about the God thing, because Bill Wilson wanted as many people as possible, and we got a large funnel, a giant funnel with millions of people coming in on God can be anything you want, don't worry about it, don't worry about the God thing. Nobody pays attention, unless you've been around to the wild, like, like a funnel, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and then it gets very tiny. And at the other end, somewhere around 25 or 30 years, a couple of alkies drip out, maybe one half of 1%, and they're solid and they're happy and they've been rocking in the fourth dimension of existence, and they believe in God. And, and, and God has become the central factor of their lives. And they're convinced that he lives in their hearts and minds. So they all see the alkies coming in on the big funnel. And sometimes if you're looking, if you're really studying, you'll see all the alkies that say, well, I had five years and then I drank. I had 10 years and then I drank. I had 20 years and then I drank. I had three years and I had six months and then I drank. You see all them, but you don't pay much attention to them because the rooms are, we got a lot of people, you know what I mean? And, and, but, but you rarely, but what you really don't see much of is the guy with 40 years who's devoted his life to God and feels so strongly about it because he's lost the fear of other people and what they think about him, that he talks about, he actually talks about God at A means and proclaims it. You never think, why don't you see a lot of those guys because they don't exist? There's very few people make it past 20 years, even 20 years or 25 years. So at 23 years, Bill Wilson, the largest guy in the deal, is about ready to drink. And guess why he's ready to drink? Because God wasn't number one in his life. Read the chapter, read the doctor, read the, uh, the next frontier. It says the real problem with alcoholics is unhealthy dependencies. Read what he says, how, how he says you can't depend on anything. Not even AA. AA is a tool. It's a fellowship to get you to a certain place. And that place that it's to get you to. 
Your real reliance, read the last page of the big book. Your real reliance has to be on God. He will even show you how to create the fellowship you crave. What's your fellowship life? Is this a fellowship where they talk about God? Is it a fellowship that's, that's the most important thing? Or is it a fellowship where you're out in the parking lot smoking cigarettes saying, look at that blonde over there? Which fellowship do you have? You know, fellowship of the party, you know, what was your fellowship? So, so now Bill Wilson says, this is what Bill Wilson, this is Bill Wilson's words. He says, one of the things I noticed at 23 years is how many old timers, he calls them oldsters, have put the booze test to, a, to the booze cure to a test. They're not drinking. They've gone through stuff, but they're so unhappy, like I was unhappy. And then he says, perhaps some of these old timers will be the spearhead for the next development in AA. I'll let you guess what the next development is in AA, because it's actually happening before your eyes. It's happening on Zoom. It's happening over. The next development in AA, well, I'll put it to you this way. There's a a, uh, statement by T.S. Eliot that I like. It says, we will not cease our exploration. That's what you guys are doing. You're exploring right now. You're all explorers. You're exploring your alcoholism. You're exploring all this stuff. You're trying to see how you can feel better. You're, expo- you're, you're involved in the exploration. You know what I mean? We will not cease our exploration. And in the end, in the end, we will come to a place where we began having known the place for the first time. For we're doing all the exploring and somewhere around my 25th year, I came back to the place where they began, <clears throat> having known the place for the first time, and it was a place where you get down on your knees. And you, and, 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 and you, you live a turned over life to God. What they were doing in the very beginning. Back to the beginning. Before the treatment centers, before all the pamphlets, before all the, before all the, before the conference approved stuff and the conference disapproved stuff, before all that stuff, rip all that crap away. Get back to the beginning. The surrender. The surrender. That's what they called it, the surrender, which they felt was a must. Dr. Bob would get him down at the foot of the bed, the surrender. None of that has anything to do with what I'm about to talk about. But I just go with the flow. So here's the deal. So what I ha- so what happened was I was at this meeting, and um, it actually does have something to do with what I'm talking about. But maybe, but you're gonna have to figure it out. I'm not gonna feed you. You're gonna have to figure this thing out. You know, I'm not gonna feed it to you with a, like a silver platter. So I was at this meeting. So in any event. If you remember, I, I was doing these things all along since I was five years sober. And when I used to do a step series, it didn't sound like this. My step series never sounded like the first 15 minutes of this deal about the God thing or anything like that. None of that. So don't feel guilty if you're not into the God, you know, because listen, I'm talking about you're looking at like at 25 years, you know what I mean? Bill Wilson at 23 years, you know, other there are people. I know there are people right here on Zoom. That at 35 years, they came around. This is like oldsters. This is like, this is like six step stuff. This is the real deal. This is the stuff that separates the men from the boys. Old timer steps. You know what I mean? This is not whether or not you can do a good four step or a good inventory step or whether or not you can say, I'm sorry or anything like that or whether or not. Yeah, this is, this is the real deal. 
This is when you're past all that stuff and you can do a four step like that and you can do a fifth step like that and you can make an amends like that and you can do the whole thing and you can even talk in front of a group. You can do everything except make God the central factor of your life. You should still chase some pussy or money or something like that. That's the deal. Yeah, you're laughing. You don't know what it's like. You know, because God is not the central factor of your life. You have him in the glove compartment to bring him out at certain times like three o'clock in the morning. You know? And uh, and that's the deal. So at any event, so my step series didn't sound like this. What I used to do, this is going to be a shocker to you guys, because I know I spent 90% of my time talking about God, talking about the stuff I was just talking about, which is not, which is not a bad thing. Somebody's got to talk about it. So uh, I used to actually talk about the steps. <laughs> this is true. I know you don't think I have it in me. And I'm not sure I do, to be honest with you. But I used to talk, I used to talk, like if I was on the first, I'd talk about the first step. If I was on the second, I'd talk about the second step. And I'd talk about the third step, and I'd talk about the, I'd talk about it. I could actually, there was a time in my life where I could actually do the steps. You know? I just, I think what, I think what's happening, I think I'm living them now. You know, the big book says on the 10th step, it says, um, there's something if you do it enough times. In other words, you screw up enough times, you apologize enough times, you go to God enough times, you make amends enough times, you learn something called restraint of tongue and pen. Which means is, well, John Wayne used to say it this way. I like the way John, he says, life is tough. And if you're stupid, it's even tougher. <laughs> so I like to say it this way. If you don't open up your big mouth and you don't do stupid shit, you find you don't have to make too many amends. You find that you're not disturbed. You know, it says the spiritual axiom is whenever you're disturbed, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with you. I mean, I embrace that, you know, and to the point where if I ever got disturbed, I would first get mad at you for 30 seconds, and I'd say, what the hell's wrong with me? And I'd start thinking about myself. And I did that over and over and over again. But here's, here's the question. What happens? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you stop doing stupid shit and hurting people and you love on, what happens if you find that you're not disturbed? What do you do then? What happens if you're not disturbed? What happens if you're not thinking bad thoughts about yourself and other people? Have you ever thought about that? What life would be like? What would happen? What would life be like for you if you weren't scared? What would be like for you if you didn't have anxiety? What would be like life be like for you if you worried about what other people thought about you, how you looked, how much money you had? You just didn't worry about it. What would it be like if you weren't disturbed? I think it would be like. Uh, being rocketed into the fourth dimension of existence and experience much of heaven. Do you think that's possible in AA? Why, why would they, well, if it's not possible in AA, why would they put it in the big book? 
You know, why would they put it there? If, if it's not possible to lose fear of people and economic security, why would they put it in there? I mean, is the big book a lie? I heard that there are some people that get to that point. Maybe it's not perfect, but it's gets pretty I heard. I heard there was a guy in California that got there. Maybe a guy in Iowa. I don't know. That'd be a cool thing. So none of that is what I really want to talk about. So let me talk about what I'm saying. So I was at a meeting on Tuesday or something, and it was on making amends, which is theoretically what this is supposed to be about. This is like the eighth week, eighth step, ninth step, sort of like a, an eighth step, ninth step, 10 step sort of, you know, milkshake here. And, uh, you know, guilt, fear, being pissed at kind of, and, and somebody, uh, and I, I, uh, and somebody was talking about making amends and about the A step and everything. And so it came to my turn to talk and I told a story. A story, I don't know, even know why I told it. It was a story that came to my mind. Sometimes God just, that came to mind that I used to tell when I actually talked about the steps. And I told the story and a guy called me. He says, man, that's incredible. That's, he told me, he said, I really appreciate that story. And I said, you know, I haven't told that story in 15 years. I used to tell that story all the time when I was doing this, when I was actually doing the steps. I had a terrible thing to admit, you know what I mean? A guy who's supposed to be doing the steps here is that you don't really do the steps. Or, or maybe I do. Maybe I am doing the steps. Maybe all the steps are wrapped into what you just, maybe I am doing the steps. Who knows? Maybe that just doesn't look like the steps. You know, I don't know. We'll see how that works. So, in any event, I said, you know something? I'm going to try talking about the step. A step, like the eighth step or the ninth step. So, so, uh, so, so you know, in, in the big book it says, we're selfish, self-centered. Uh, I'm not saying this against you. Don't get mad at me. I'm telling you what the book says you are. What the book said I am. It says I'm selfish and I'm self-centered and driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking. I'm crazy. I'm deluded. I'm selfish. I step on the toes of others. They retaliate seemingly without provocation. But I realize, I ultimately realize, although up until coming day and maybe for years afterwards, I never realized that, that I've made decisions based upon being a selfish son of a bitch, which puts me in a position to be hurt. So there, there may be consequences to being an asshole. There may be consequences to being an asshole. There may be consequences to being an asshole. Now you guys are alcoholics, right? So you've heard the word asshole before. I mean, I know not, once we're in here, we're not supposed to say things like that. You judge people's sobriety about whether they curse or not and stuff like that. That's all bullshit. You know what I mean? I mean, we didn't, you don't, don't tell me you don't want to go to church. You understand what I'm saying? And you, you don't listen to people who talk nice and you don't want to go to church and you're not going to go to church and don't chirp church down my mouth and then come in here and try to make this out like it's a church. Don't get self-right. Don't tell me you hate self-righteous people and then get freaking self-righteous on me by judging people because they're not acting like you want them to act or they say the wrong word. You understand what I'm saying? Don't be so much of a, Flipping hypocrite. You understand what I'm saying? Get real. I talk alky. I talk, you know what I talk? I talk the way you think. I talk the way you think. I say fuck 
because you say it all the time in your mind. And I don't want some guy in the back road saying, I'm not going to listen to this guy. You know, I've been coming here to hear a preacher. I want the guy to be saying, well, I like this guy. He's talking the way I think. He understands. I become all things by using whatever means to save some. You know, and I'm willing to risk you not liking me because of the way I talk. If I say we're world whores, it's because we're world whores. We whore ourselves out. I don't mince my words. Listen, I wasn't a good boy, and now I'm gooder. I was an evil asshole. You understand what I'm saying? Now, my grandmother, Nana Ethel, on my mother's side, when my mother was drinking, and life got impossible at my house, and at 17 years old, I moved in with my grandmother and my grandfather, who were like in their 60s and 70s, and I moved in with them. And the last thing they needed is some pre-alcoholic, alcoholic 17-year-old running around looking for pussy and going crazy and going nuts. That's the last thing they need in their lives. And I'll tell you about my grandmother. She loved me. I was a prince. She loved me more than anybody. And I loved her. I come at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. I disturb their lives and everything. I remember seeing my grandmother. She'd be sitting there in this chair, chain smoking palm malls. And all she'd be doing is thinking about the family. Oh, your Uncle Jerry, what are we gonna, oh, your Aunt Joan, oh, your mother, what are we, oh, this, ah, all she did was worrying about the family. Worrying about the family. <laughs> I give a shit about the family. I get, you know what I worried about? Me, me. You know, I think about, I think about me. My grandfather, my, you know what my grandmother told me? This is what she told me. She says, Russell, you're basically a good boy. Which I'm not sure I analyzed that until later on. I think that means like deep, 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 deep down inside, underneath all the bullshit, there may be a spark of divine in you, maybe, on a good day. That's what my grandmother used to say about me. You're basically a good boy. So one day I'm dating a gal. Her name's Lynn. And uh, we're having, you know, I was like 18, 19 years old, so like sex every day, going crazy, you know, and all that sort of stuff. You know, I was in Alky Love, you know, Alky Love. If you guys haven't been in Alky Love, you guys have been in Alky Love, you know what Alky Love's about. You know, it's like, it's, there's a lot of sex, there's a lot of craziness, a lot of worrying about what she's thinking about and what she's doing, and is she going out with somebody else, but you know, and uh, it's a lover's question, you know, that song, you know, does she love me? Is she thinking about, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And one day, after a year of all this tomfoolery, she tells me, my parents who have been subsidizing me in New, Jer New Jersey would like me to come up for Christmas. And I go, I go, well, what about me? I go, what about me? And uh, we have a big argument. I yell at her, she yells at me. Uh, because I knew she had a boyfriend, an old boyfriend up in New Jersey, and she was probably going to go up there and have sex with him and all sorts of stuff. And I was like dying. I got physically ill thinking about her leaving. So I had a credit card I hadn't maxed out because, you know, me with credit cards, I, I buy more crap I don't need to, uh, with money I don't have to impress people I don't like. I had one card that didn't max out, and I bought a plane ticket on Christmas. I flew up there, and I showed up at a front door in New Jersey. I said, I'm here. I'm here to bless you with my presence on Christmas. Well, I thought it was love. You know, the cops said it was stalking. 
But you know, what do they know, you know? I'll tell you what it was. It was, it was because I was a selfish asshole and I only care about myself. That's what it was. It was because I was a selfish asshole. I'm gonna tell you a little principle. There are consequences to being a selfish, self-centered asshole. Listen to me. There are consequences to being a selfish, self-centered asshole. <coughs> selfish, self-centered assholes have bad thoughts about themselves and other people and feel worthless. That's, unless and until an alcoholic accepts his alcoholism and all its consequences as a pride to be a precarious and true happiness or find none at all, that feeling of being unworthy or less than or having to prove yourself or worrying about people like you, that comes from when you're a selfish, self-centered asshole. I, I know that sounds kind of harsh, but you see, when I asked my sponsor, what did that mean, selfishness, self-centeredness, you know? Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking. We step on the toes of others, they retaliate. But we, we made decision-based ones. And I said to him, what does that mean? It says, you don't give a fuck about anybody except yourself. See, he explained to me an alky. You understand? And I understood it. I understood it so much, I said, I like the way they say it in the book better. But I needed to hear him say it. I needed to hear it that way. I needed, I needed somebody to say it to me in a way which would cause me to think and pierce through the denial so, was, so I would have repeated humiliations and start the road to being crushed, you know, because that's the only way you get a new perspective. So then I meet a gal in college and I fall in love, alky love, and I know, because if you're an alcoholic, you know you're an if only or an yes butter. I know if I can only marry that gal, my life would change and I'd be wonderful and that's what I wanted. So I did the full court press to marry that gal and I did, man, I did everything I could, you know. I was going for a PhD in algebraic topology, and her mother was a lawyer, and her father was a doctor. I immediately decided I was going to go to medical school. And then I went to, I went to medical school, and he says, you have no biology, you got to go back to biology for a year. I had the grades. He said, I, said, I ain't going back for no year because I'm an alcoholic, so I decided to go to law school. And they accepted me right away, and I became a lawyer. People used to ask me, why did you become a lawyer? I said, well, I like Perry Mason, I like the law thing and everything like that. I became a lawyer. I didn't realize this until 10 years sober, to get in some gal's pants. You think, you think it's possible that a man would change his career just to get into a woman's pants? Do you think that's possible? Well, maybe you guys aren't like me. Maybe you guys aren't like this. Do you think a woman would do some crazy ass things to get a guy you know, that you think they, they, you think they'd sacrifice their self-esteem to have a man? Do you think they'd allow themselves to be beaten or abused just so they could keep a man and not lose him? Do you think a woman would do that? You think a man would? Do, you think that? You think that would happen? Hard to believe, right? So one day I was five years so five, not five years so, but after five years of marriage and a young child, I used to go to the bars every night and look at the blondes, redheads, and redheads. And I never cheated on my wife. I just sat there till four o'clock in the morning saying, man, if I wasn't married, I'd go out with those gals. And then one day she said, you come home drunk one time, I'm leaving you. And I came home drunk that night. She kicked me out of the house. And I was the happiest day of my life because I was finally free. Because I was tired of her. She was still nice looking, still a good person. There wasn't anything wrong with her, except I wanted a, a new car. 
I wanted a new woman. So we went to see the marriage counselor, and the marriage counselor said, well, what do, you, what do you want to change in Russell? And she said something, probably something about coming home for dinner or something. I don't know, because all I was thinking about is the redhead I was going out to date that night. And then he turned to me and said, what do you want to change about your ex-wife? I mean, about your wife. And I said, I just want to date other women. That was the end of the marriage counseling session. Now, 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 now listen, you know who does stuff like that? Irresponsible assholes do shit like that. Selfish people do stuff like that. And now I'm divorced. And now I'm out in the town and I'm running around looking for the, you know, the wild ladies. You know what I mean? And uh, I hook up with this gal named Sally on a Friday night. And now it's Saturday morning. I've been telling my son, who's five, six years old, that I'm going to take him to the zoo. I'm going to take him to the zoo. I'm an attorney. I'm in a three-piece suit. I'm looking like a good guy. I'm a division chief in the state's attorney's office. I'm doing all this stuff. And I tell my, my son for a week, I'm going to take him to the zoo. He says, you're going to take him? He says, absolutely, I'm going to take you to the zoo. My five or six-year-old son, I'm going to take him to the zoo. He's at home waiting for you to pick him up and take him to the zoo because you get, you get time sharing. You know, you get the child thing and everything, visitation. And all of a sudden, I'm right going to leave him to, leave to take him to the zoo and, and, um, I get a call from Sally, and Sally says, hey, you know, me and the girls are going out on the boat today. Would you like to join us? And I'm as sober physically as I am right now. And I'm starting thinking, Sally and the girls, my son. Sally, the girls, sex and booze are my son. It was a real struggle. But after about 10 seconds, it was anchors the fuck away. <laughs> now, it's no use calling up my son. He'll have a better time with his mother. So he's waiting there for me. By the way, you know who lives in? I hadn't been arrested for DUI. I still had a job. I still had a car. I was an attorney. You know who lives their lives like that? Selfish assholes live their lives like that. So I'm on, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm on the boat with Sally and I'm drinking. Cause let me tell you something. You live your life like that. You're going to drink. You better drink. Cause deep, deep down, you may look good on the outside, but deep down inside, there's a portrait of Dorian Gray and it looks like a total piece of crap. And that's what I was. I was a bum and a total piece of crap and an evil bastard in a three piece suit. Now, I just told you like three stories. Three stories. You think I like cherry picked the three stories when I was the, I'll, just, I'll pick the three, the only three stories in my life which showed I was a selfish asshole. <laughs> Those are three out of about 300 I can remember. And let's not even think, because that's who I was. Because I'm an alcoholic. You know? Well, maybe I'm a unique alcoholic, not like you guys. Because I can tell you guys have a milder form of this disease. You probably didn't act like that. So now I'm five years sober. Three or year, five or three years sober. And my youngest brother, who was, even though I went to live with my grandmother, he lived with my mother while she was drinking. My mother drank, she would be found in her negligee outside her house. And after years of living with my mother, he finally had to go to an, basically in a sanitarium. Because he was so messed up because of my mother's drinking. That's my youngest brother. He was, I was about seven years older than him. 
So I was like the star of the family. I was the attorney, the star of the family, and he was the guy who never quite sort of could get it together. You know? And so every once in a while, he would call me up. I'm three years sober now. He would call me up, and he'd always call me up when he had problems. And it was always the money. Russ, can I borrow 20? And I knew it. And so this one Saturday, I think it was a Friday night or something like that, he calls me up and he says, Russ, he says, yeah. And I said, immediately, because I know he only calls me and he says, yeah, what is it? He said, because I know what the story, well, I was just wondering, I said, listen, just tell me what the problem, what, what's the story? He says, well, I really need, I need some money because of the rent. I said, is that why you call me up? You call me up for money again? I said, when are you going to get a job? When are you going to get your freaking life together? You know? Why do I have to keep on bailing you out? For God's sakes, you know what I mean? You're 26 years old. What the hell is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Because I'm saying that because not only am I pissed, you understand? I'm saying if I give it, I I know I'm going to have to give him the freaking money. You understand what I'm saying? I know I have to give him the freaking money, but maybe if I beat him enough, maybe he'll stop calling me, then I won't have to give him the money. Because I'm three years sober and I'm a great guy, but I'm a bastard. I'm a... Because I'm three years sober and I haven't apparently had the entire selfishness beat out of me, especially when it comes to money. You know what I mean? Because I worry about that money stuff. I did my four-step when I was 18 months sober. When I came home from doing my four-step, and then I went to a meeting. When I came home after doing my four-step, my my, uh, wife told me, your grandmother... Your Nana, Ethel, just died. I never had a chance to make amends to my grandmother. So my brother says, I said, so when do you need the money? Now I'm three years old. So when do you need it? Well, I saw it needed. I was hoping I was, oh, you need it right now? At 8 o'clock at night? You need to come over right now and get the money. Is that what I hear you say? He said, yes. Well, come on over. I'll give you the money. I know what it was, 50, 60, 100 bucks, whatever it was. So I'm sitting there, I'm sitting, I don't believe this crap. You know what I mean? And then I start thinking, you know what I start thinking about? My grandmother. I start thinking about my grandmother. I start thinking about how my grandmother, no matter what kind of idiot I was, no matter what I did, if I asked her for like $20, $30 or something like this, She'd always give me the money. She never told me I was an asshole. She never yelled at me. She never made me feel small. She never made me feel guilty for asking for money. She would just give me the money and tell me how much she loved me. And I started thinking that the only thing that my grandmother cared about was the family. The only thing she worried about was your Uncle Jerry, your mother, and this. She just would sit there and chain smoke cigarettes. She wouldn't treat my younger brother. You know, if if she was alive, she would have just said, come on over, I'll give you the money. So, when Jeff showed up at my door, I, uh, and I opened the door, he said, I said, look, here's, here's the money. I said, let me ask you something. I know you're going to find this hard to leave. I said, you need any more? 
And uh, my, that was my way of making amends to my grandmother. It wasn't a way of making amends to Jeff, although maybe it did to a certain extent, but it was my way, I've made ongoing amends to him. But I mean, it's my way of making amends to my, because I know if my grandmother was alive, she'd be worried about it and taking care of the family. So my deal is, if the family's in trouble, like my uncle's been recently in trouble and take care, I, I do whatever I can within my power to watch over and take care of my family. You know what I mean? That's what I do. That's, that's who I am. That's the way I make amends to my grandma. And what happens is when you live a life like that, there are consequences to live in life as a selfish, self-seeking, son of a gun. There are consequences. And the consequences have to do with that stuff in your mind where you realize, ultimately, maybe after two years or three years or five years, that all this crap that you start seeing all the crap that's going on in your mind and you realize it's just 10, 20, 30, hundreds of people that you either worry about or you're worried about what they think about you or you pissed at them, you got all these people in your mind and you can't get rid of them, they pop up. They pop up here and there. But you know, when you live your life and when you make amends and you make amends to the people you've hurt and you make ongoing amends, you know what happens? Those people just, they just disappear. The guilt disappears, the fear disappears. The bad thoughts about yourself and other people disappear. And what happens is you're lifted up. And all of a sudden, instead of, instead of saying things to yourself, like alcoholics like to say, what do alcoholics like? What's the self-talk of the regular alcoholic on the street? I'm an asshole, I ought to kill myself. I know you guys never say that about yourselves. I know you guys never think, I'm, I'm a loser, I'm never gonna be okay, I might as well kill myself, I'm so full of shit. I know you never say that. You're like, because I can tell you're, you're sort of weller alcoholics. But I'm the kind of alcohol that I would have self-talk like that. It would just come along. I'd be driving all of a sudden. I'd say I'm an asshole. I had to kill myself. You know? But when you do these, the, these amends things and you stop hurting people, what happens is all of a sudden you, you hear this voice. You say, you know something? You're, you're, you're a decent guy. You're all right. You know, there's a difference between... When a person, when you're telling yourself, when you stop saying, if only I, if I had this, I'd be okay. If only I had that, I'd be okay. And you start hearing yourself saying, no, you're a decent guy. You love God, you're trying to help other people. There's a whole difference in the way you approach life and the way you think about people and the way you think about yourself. You have to trust me on this. Then when you wake up every morning saying, if only I had this, I'd be okay. If only I had that, I'd be okay. I'm such an idiot than when you're living life like that. And that has nothing to do with drinking. It has something to do with drinking on the other end because you go through about 10 or 15 years of that and you don't get past, you don't get past that Bill Wilson crisis, that 23 year crisis, you go past that, you know, and give your life to God and start helping other people and everything like that, you're ultimately probably gonna drink or else you'll feel miserable. You understand? So in that sense, it has to do with drinking, but it has to do with the real disease that centers in your mind, not your body. 
So that's it. We burned the hour. Thank you very much.